Hi, welcome to Naval Gazing on valleyindy.org and 103.5 WNHH, New Haven's community radio station. Today's episode is brought to you by Valley Gives Back, a new initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Adding a charity to your estate plan creates a legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you during your life. Your action inspires others to follow your lead and to make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact your community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. For more information, visit valleygivesback.org. The Valley Gives Back is an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation, connecting private philanthropy to the long-term public good of the Valley. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow. Valleygivesback.org. Hey, welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indies podcast. We're heard on valleyindie.org, we're on libsyn.com, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, and WNHH 103.5 New Haven's Community Radio Station. That is when I remember to send the file over to the radio folks. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm Eugene, and joining me is Ethan Fry. Hey, how are you? And we're reporters with the organization, and right now we just concluded recording a podcast with Tom Hennick, the public information officer for the Connecticut Freedom of Information Commission. During this podcast, we give him about, I don't know, 20 scenarios, each and every one that we've uh, encountered in the lower Naugatuck Valley, and we ask uh, whether or not it jives with open government laws in the state of Connecticut. So uh, the only other thing I'll say, it's a Wednesday, December 13th, and I'll probably post this right after you leave here. We're recording this in my kitchen in Derby because uh, I'm home today with my son, Jack, who this morning had a 102-degree fever. He's really under the weather, uh, but so far he's been good for the last 45 minutes. So I want to thank you, Ethan, for bringing all this junk, lugging it out to my house so we could do this. Yeah, I'm amazed we... Uh I managed to get every wire and, and stuff we needed. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, it, 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 an interesting conversation with Tom, like you, like you said. You know, we love doing this uh, and asking him about all these different scenarios we run into. Um, but, you know, something he, he says during the interview, and you know, just to remind people, uh, public officials or members of the public, they love to people. They love people to call them or email them or whatever directly to ask these questions anytime you want. That's what they're there for. They're there for to help members of the public get information, not just you know reporters. Even though reporters are the ones who uh, ask them about stuff a lot of the time. Yeah, I was just thinking in 2017, it's very important to let everybody know that 
Freedom of Information Act is for everyone, like you said, not mm. just reporters. I know it's fashionable to bash the media and uh, you know to call them evil, um, you know, whatever, what have you. But uh, there's something great where there's this act that opens up government to the people, and, and that's what the, this this conversation's about that we're about to embark on. And I guess unless you have anything else to add, here is Tom Hennick of the Connecticut Freedom of Information Commission. Thanks. Joining us on the line is Tom Hennick, the Public Information Officer for the Connecticut Freedom of Information Commission. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. How are you guys today? Not bad. So we did this about a year and a half ago. We had an FOI pop quiz during which Ethan and I threw random scenarios that we've encountered here in the Naugatuck Valley and asked Tom to uh, basically be Judge Wapner instantaneously All right. and interpret uh, FOI uh, procedures or rules to us. So we thought we would do that again. But just very quickly before we go into that, I mean, you're sort of like the Batman of the FOI Act in, in Connecticut, right? Are you more like Batman or, or like Alfred? How, how would you describe uh, what you do? I don't know. That, that's very... <laughs> Batman, Alfred, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I'm just here to try to answer questions. That's, that's kind of what we do. And then, I, then we do workshops all over the state. That's, those are my primary functions. And you do workshops in, uh, in front of government groups or public bodies or a combination of both, both private citizens? Both. Okay. Um, you know, for instance, yesterday... Not too far from you, I was over in Monroe, and it was staff. They want me to come back uh, in the spring and do one for their board and commission people. Um, I've done them for media groups. It, it, it's really, it depends on, on who wants it, who wants to know a little bit more about FOI. That's awesome. And if somebody, uh, let's say they, they're, they're very busy and they can't listen to the rest of this awesome podcast, although they should, how would someone get in contact with you to arrange uh, a speaker's engagement? Sure. Just call the office. 860-566-5682 and ask for me and I'll pull out my trusty calendar and we'll set it up. There you go. All right, so let's get into these scenarios. The FOI pop quiz. If we had more of a budget, we'd have theme music playing right now, but we don't. All right, all right. So, all right, first question. Here we go, Mr. Hennick. I'm on a town commission. I file an agenda for a meeting. The last item on the agenda reads executive session personnel. Is this a proper notice of that executive session? No, no, a thousand times no. Um, that's, that's an easy one. Not only has our commission ruled on that, our, our, the matter's gone to court a couple times, and things like personnel, litigation, um, pending matters, things like that that people like to throw out there, it's, it's just not enough. Why is that? One second. Yeah, go right ahead. Well, uh, there are... It's funny you should ask that question because I answered an email to somebody today, uh, a, another journalist who's, who's also struggling with this um, because he's just not, he's not getting what, you know. So, so his question was, you know, is, is per, just personnel too vague? And so I, I picked up randomly from one of many decisions, and I'll read you this. Okay. This is from a commission decision from a couple of years ago. The commission repeatedly has held that in order for the public to be fairly apprised of the reason for an executive session, the public agency must give some indication of the specific topic to be addressed. Descriptions such as personnel, personnel matters, legal, or even the appointment, employment, performance, that, that comes straight out of the uh, statute, 
are inadequate. I, you know, I, I can't say it any more clearly than, the, than that hearing officer wrote it. Well, and what there's if... numerous decisions, numerous, um, you know, again, both the commission and in court. What if I'm a, a, a member of the police commission and the police chief wants to use executive session for, quote, personnel updates, unquote? Okay, well, it depends on what the update is. If it's about an individual then it would say update on the performance of you could you don't necessarily have to name the individual you could say the update of a police officer or a sergeant or a detective or something like that um, but if it's an update as to you know how many how many openings there are how many vacancies there are that i would argue should be done in public unless somehow discussing it uh in public would be a security issue and then there's also an executive session for that but it wouldn't be a personnel update. It would be, we're going to talk about, you know, um, vacancies on the staff, and I don't want to talk about it in public, so it's a, it's a security matter. I don't want the general public to know that we're down six officers or something like that. And just continuing along this line uh, a little bit, because these are things we see every day. I'm on a school board. I file an agenda for a meeting. The agenda reads, quote, executive session appointment list, unquote. Is that a proper notice? For executive session. Well, I would argue that you need a little more than that. Appointment of whom? Uh, appointment of teachers, appointment of coaches, appointment of... You know, I, I, I just think you need more than that. Okay. And then, see, we're, we're going through these quickly because we know you're a busy man. Uh, no, I'm, that's okay. Here's the next one. I'm the mayor. I want to talk to yep. my constituents who live in senior housing. I okay. S- I send out an email to the full board of Alderman letting them know about this okay. get-together. I invite yep. the police chief to come. Is there anything questionable about, questionable about this under the state's FOI Act? The only thing that would be a problem would be if, with the mayor up there visiting with these folks, he, he gathered his other people and started doing council business, as it were. And, and so if they're just there listening or they answer a question or two, you know, you don't want to get crazy about this stuff. It's a it's a it's an informational meeting for the people of the senior housing. Um, I would argue that they they could do that. They could sit there and talk, um, but to notice it and consider it an open meeting that you know invite the world to, I would argue that that probably would be necessary as long as again the board members themselves don't start doing board business sort of off in the corner. So even the fact that the mayor sends out an email to all the members of the board of aldermen inviting them that's not the same as organizing a meeting through email i would argue that's correct all right ethan do you want to go on to the next one you're you're silent i thought you dropped your computer at the beginning uh, i just i remembered a new scenario i wanted to ask about so i wanted to i was just typing that in i don't okay. want clickety clack noise so we're, going on in the we're background. up to pending litigation then. yeah quote unquote pending litigation we see this a lot is there anything in the foi act that prohibits elected officials from commenting on lawsuits from commenting on it not in the FOI act um now obviously they they've got attorneys in their ears and they've got um you know there's there's legal reasons not to comment on it but um there's nothing in FOI that, that would stop them from doing that. They could withhold certain documents created to, uh, to be part of the strategy with those, that pending litigation. But again, if they, whether they comment or not is entirely up to them. 
And I, that question came from me because I've encountered uh, situations where a public official will say, I, I can't comment, it's pending litigation, or they'll be advised to not comment, as if that's a, a law, <laughs> but it's just their no, personal it's not the law. I mean, it, it, them, yeah. let's, let's be honest, it probably makes sense. It's smart. Yeah. I mean, if you're involved in a lawsuit to be, to be sort of spouting off about what you think. However, on the other hand, if, if it's a, let's suppose a town is sued after making a decision, I, I wouldn't see any harm in saying we, you know, something like, you know, we're going to vigorously defend our decision. We we made our decision based on X, Y, and Z, and here's why we're going to defend it. I, I don't see where that would be a problem. Mm. But if you start dipping into the strategy as to how you're going to defend yourself and what your, you know, what witnesses you're going to call and stuff like that, that that would probably not be a good idea. Okay. Now, remember, I should remind everybody, I'm not an attorney, but that's that's what I know to be the case. Yeah, that that you one. Know, you don't. That one's outside the FOI Act. Your strategy. But, yeah. Mm. yeah, you don't give, give away your strategy. But there's no uh, automatic by statute no. gag order on these things, which sometimes <laughs> no, we think... No, there is not. Yeah, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Go ahead, Ethan. Uh, I'm a member of the public. I attend a public hearing on a housing proposal and read from a statement I have prepared. When the meeting minutes are published, they do not include my statement, just that I spoke in opposition to the proposal. Is that okay? Okay. That's that that is certainly within uh, within the bounds of uh, of FOI. That's not a problem. Um, the if you turn the statement in, it becomes a public record, but there's no requirement that it be attached to the minutes or printed verbatim in the minutes. So so how much they put in there is is entirely up to the board. And that's an interesting one. Is, is that uh, we hear that complaint a lot as reporters from members of the public saying, "I look at the meetings and their uh, meeting minutes, and they're useless. They didn't include everything that I said." Do you get complaints of that nature a lot from the general public when they attend a meeting you and know, then review it? From time to time, we do, and and you know, not, you know, not to you know to be unfair to the public, but the but the law on minutes is actually pretty pretty specific, and it's very Spartan, if for lack of a better word. It's um, it really only requires a record of the votes. So technically, if all it had was you know who voted for what or for whom, they would be within the in the realm of uh, compliance with FOI. So how much more is they put in there is is really up to the up to the board or the commission or the person doing the minutes. However, whoever sort of has that uh, that power, I guess. Okay. And then uh, moving on, this one I think I generated, too, from things that I'm starting to experience as things become uh, digital. Let's say I'm a member of the public. I used to be able to walk into City Hall and ask to see applications pending in front of the local planning and zoning commission uh, for development. Uh, they would just hand okay. me a file. They would hand me you know, literally a file with everything connected. Every paper connected to that application would be in a nice uh, manila folder or a file folder. Now, since everything's going digital, it's hard to get that exact, all those documents. You kind of have to go through a computer. How can I see everything connected to a proposal if it's only on one computer in the P&Z office? Well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a piece of the FOI Act, a provision that says, you know, how you, how you store things, how you, you know, make sure things are available that that also must take into account the fact that they need to be uh, available to the public. So, if if they've got everything digitally and that everything is, you know, sort of filed that way, then there'd have to be a way to let the public see it 
even though it might be easier to just hand you a file, they don't. It's not easier for their, you know, for their filing purposes. So, um, I guess I guess what I would say is that they'd either have to give you a disk to look at to put put everything on there, or have a have a terminal there for you to look, or be willing to print it out and have you look at it and say, "Here's everything we have," and and, and let you look at it. But, um, you know, the idea would be that you you have a right to see these records and just because they choose choose to store them in a different manner doesn't absolve them of their right to you know to make them available i guess is what i'm trying to say interesting yeah i never thought that yeah just get it all on a disc or get on a thumb drive of some kind is a is a way right. to, to deal with that or they could just proactively right. put them on the city website that would also what? be that would also be a they great, could, great if thing if they wanted to yeah. sure um i'm gonna try to if you hold on just one second I'm, i was looking at the um yeah sure on or after July, this is section 1-211, subsection C. On and after July 1st, 1992, Whoa. before any public agency requires any computer, acquires any computer system, equipment, or software to store or retrieve non-exempt public records, it shall consider whether such proposed system, equipment, or software adequately provides for the rights of the public under the Freedom of Information Act at the least cost possible to the agency and to persons entitled to access to non-exempt public records under the Freedom of Information Act. So it's, it's telling you that you, you, can, you can store them, and this was, you know, as, as this, you know, sort of started with, um, you know, electronic record keeping back in 1992. It's telling you that, um, you know, you still have to make sure that the public's rights are, are protected. That's great. Yeah, I'm amazed that's put, that was a concern yeah. 25 years ago. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Hi, this is Eugene, most likely interrupting myself to bring you a message from our sponsor. What will you be remembered for? Adding a charity to your estate plan creates a legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you during your life. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. It's an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now. Give later. An impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. Now back to the show. Let's move on. I'm a member of the public. I've submitted an FOI request asking for documents from City Hall. How long does the government have to respond to my request? Okay, that's the, 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 the word respond sort of loads this question. The law says that there must be a response within four business days, but the response has been interpreted to, to mean respond. We've got your request. We're looking into it. The, the access is, is um, required promptly, and that is sort of open-ended. And when that went to court very early in the life of the law, the court said promptly means don't laugh without undue delay, <laughs> which basically leaves it, leaves it wide open. So, you know, on the one hand, it's, it, I would rather have a deadline. You got a week, you got two days, whatever that is. But on the other hand, an agency can look at the request and say, oh, look, this is just one piece of paper. Wait 30 seconds, I'll get it to you. Or it can say there are boxes and boxes here that we have to review, that we have to let our lawyer look at, that we have to redact. It could take months, and months could be reasonable. It could be considered reasonable, and so that's that. It's the promptness 
it really is in the eyes of the beholder. We've got a situation going on now with a couple of state agencies and a couple here in the capital city in Hartford where due to budget situations and staffing problems, you know, it's taking them months to produce reports that used to take a couple of days to report. And so people are filing complaints, and then our hearing officers and our commission have to grapple with the fact that they have these shortages and does are they still being prompt when it's taking 22 months to produce a report? And, and it's, you know, it's, it's interpretive. So it's, it's very difficult. I, I think at some point as this, as the length of time it's taking to get reports from some of these agencies continues to grow. I think that we might start saying, look, we, we get your problem, but you've got to fix it. You've got to put another two or three people on this or something, something like that. I don't know where that's going to go, but at some point it, it would cease to be, be prompt budget problems or not. I guess the other solution is for the lawmakers to revisit the law and maybe put a end date on def, there. Def, define promptly themselves. And yeah. not, they could. Know, yeah. Yep. That's, that's, that's also possible. Yep. All right. Ethan's going to ask you the next few. Uh, I'm a member of the public. A disciplinary report has been prepared against a city employee. Can I see that report? Disciplinary reports are by and large, absolutely public. And, and he, he, there's a there's a piece of the statute that's 10-151C that talks about you can't get a teacher's evaluation, but a disciplinary report, you know, some people run right to that, and they, that's just no. That's just, uh, if it's a disciplinary report, some malfeasance or something like that, that's automatically public. And uh, just as like a follow-up to that, sometimes you see... Uh like they'll bring in um, a lawyer to write a report on something like that uh-huh. and then say, oh, it's protected by attorney-client privilege. Would that... Oh, Go ahead. That's a, that's a great point. Some have started to do that. If they ask an outside attorney to write a report and they say, and it's couched in terms of, it's couched in terms of this is my advice to you, and it's not revealed to anybody else, then yes, the attorney-client privilege could hold. But if it's, if it's, you know, if it's a disciplinary report, if it's, this is what this person has been accused of, and this is what we found, and this is what we're going to do, suspended without pay, this, that, or the other thing, then I would argue that that part of it has to come out. But the advice, perhaps, from the attorney, the advice from the attorney as to what to do might still be held on your attorney-client privilege, except if there, I'm sure there would then be a follow-up report. You know what I'm saying? A follow-up yeah. report is okay, and, and that, I would argue, would be, would be public. Okay. Uh, five of the seven members of my local board of aldermen are getting dinner at a restaurant. Is that a violation of the FOI Act? In and of itself, no. Social and chance gatherings are not meetings and do not need to be noticed. Now, if they're sitting there setting the budget... Or they're debating whether or not to overthrow the chairman, then yes, and it's a meeting. So it depends on what they're doing. But if they're just doing, if they're just having dinner and being social, and let and let's let's not be naive, guys. Uh, you know what some of the topics are going to be. But if they're just sort of sort of circling those topics and not, you know, the d- d- deciding issues, then I would argue it's not a problem. And if it's purely dinner and they're just talking about, you know. How horrible the Giants are, or, or Ansonia Naugatuck football, or something mm-hmm. like that, or the weather, then it's clearly not a problem of any, in any, any way, shape, or form. 
Okay. Uh, I'm on a commission. I file my agenda for an upcoming meeting. Part of it reads executive session if needed. Is that okay? This is like an oldie but goodie in the valley. I would argue no. You can't do that. You, you've got to be more specific. And that goes back to the first question you folks ask. You've got to be more specific. You just Some people, and it, it really, I, I can't get through to some of these folks, they put an executive session on there with nothing on there just in case. You can't do that. Hmm. You just can't do it. It's got if now if the item itself is on the agenda, and it's something that's legitimate for an executive session, the agenda doesn't necessarily have to say executive session. You get to the agenda item and say, you know what, this is really uh, our strategy as it pertains to this lawsuit. We should take this into executive session. That would be okay, but just to have executive session floating out there just in case is not a good idea. Okay. Uh, I'm on a commission. We hold an executive session to talk about an individual employee on the agenda. We don't name the person, just the person's title. Is that okay? Yes, it would be okay. There's, there's a, there's a, there are cases that say just personnel is not enough. There are, there are also a couple of cases that say it's not required to name the individual. Okay. And let's uh, pretend at that same executive session, the commission invites its lawyer to meet with them. During the executive session, a consultant they've hired twice pops into the executive session to offer some pertinent information. Is that okay? If the board needs that consultant in the room to, um, to have that conversation, to use that person's expertise, to help them with their deliberations, the answer is yes. It's okay. Does the person have to be formally named as being a part of the executive session and invited in in a formal manner? I don't know about a formal invitation, but I would, I would argue that, that some sort of acknowledgement in public would be a good idea. It certainly should be in the minutes as to who's in the executive session. Okay. Uh, Ethan, why don't you skip the next one because we're starting to run into our uh, time one. Some of these I was just, I was just writing to write. Uh, yeah, could I That's go okay. to one of the ones? They're, they're uh, good questions. They're all good. They're, they're very basic things that some boards don't get, so you're wise to ask them. I appreciate that. Let me ask with one that just came up last week. Yeah, and go to all yours, because yeah, yeah. a lot of them are mine. So. I'm an elected official. The board I sit on schedules a special meeting and files an agenda more than 24 hours ahead of time. Also, the chairman of the board calls all the members of the board reminding, of the, reminding them of the meeting, except for me. Is that okay? Well, I would argue that it's not good policy that it's not um, a smart thing to do, that it's not fair, all of those things. But there's nothing in that that violates the FOI Act. Calling someone to remind them of a meeting would not be a problem. Skipping somebody legally, technically, not a problem. I would just argue that it's, that's, that's a bad way to conduct business. Okay. Uh, next one, I'm a member of the public while paying taxes in City Hall. I notice some public officials meeting in a room with the door open, so I walk in and sit down and learn the meeting is of a quote-unquote task force formed to discuss blight issues. Afterward, I ask the city lawyer who's in the meeting if the people meeting are a public agency, and he says, yes, an agenda for the meeting was filed in the clerk's office, but less than 24 hours before the meeting happened. Ouch. Is, is that okay? Okay. No, technically it's not. I mean, I thought where you were going to go with that was it's a task force, so we don't have to worry about FOI. I hear that a lot. Well, yeah, that's sort of a, yeah, that 
Yeah. I mean, this, this was it rooted in, in, an, in an issue that came up in, in a city we cover. And, and right. It, it doesn't matter what you yeah. call it. You can call it a task force. You can call it a working group. You could call it a workshop. But if it's a board that's gathered to do an assigned task, it's a meeting. So the fact that they acknowledge that and recognize that, that's good. The fact that they had an agenda, that's good. The fact that it was in less than 24 hours in advance, that doesn't work. It really needs to be available 24 hours in advance. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm a member of the public. I attend a meeting of a public agency whose agenda includes an executive session to discuss a possible real estate purchase. The board votes in public to go into executive session, and I leave the room and wait outside. Later, the door opens and the board members walk out saying the meeting has been adjourned. Is that okay? No, they need to adjourn it in public. And I hope they didn't vote on the land transaction in an executive session because that would be a very bad violation. All the votes need to be public. All the votes need to be recorded publicly. Okay. And then uh, I'm a public official. A reporter has requested a public document from me, but I have yet to share it with my fellow elected officials. I want to hold the document until my colleagues read it. Is that okay? Um, I would argue that technically it's not. I understand the the thought behind it. It makes sense. But uh, I would say that once you have it, it's a public record, and there's no exemption on it. You, you, would, you would really have to give it out. I might try to work something out with the re- reporter and say, look, I give, my, give my colleagues 24 hours to read it. I'll be happy to give it to you. Or I'll give it to you now, but please don't use it for 24 hours so that they can at least have a chance to read it. You know what I mean? I, I would hope something could be worked out there. Um, but technically, once, it, once the public official has it, it's a public record. Okay, right. Yeah, and that's 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 like another oldie but goodie. But we, the, we've I've seen less of that recently. I guess I don't know. If... I had it happen to me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Th- those are all our questions, Mr. Tom Hennick. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast. This is the favorite. We've done this twice with you now, and it's definitely uh, at least for Ethan and I. It's our favorite thing to do. Uh, so, oh, great! I, I appreciate that. That's very kind. So yeah, yeah, happy no to do it anytime. All right, sir. Thanks tell a lot. Your, tell your towns, tell your towns to, to call us anytime they have questions. We'll be happy to try to help. Heck yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, so that was yeah, Tom Hennick, Public like Information the, Officer for the Free, Connecticut Freedom of Information Commission. It's like the public transparency version of Stump the Joke Man. I, I hope someone's, one person <laughs> will get that. One person out there. All right, so until next week, I'm Eugene Driscoll, and that was Ethan Fry. See you. For hundreds of years we brought you the news. For in the info we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Change in market now threatens our lives. Readers are in the opens each day. Online clickbait, a brilliant way. It's free information here to stay. Not even hookers give it away. Yeah.
dinosaur We'll ride the dinosaur Thank you. 